Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, and chapter 10, verses 23 through 24. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer in Lincoln Square. Perhaps the greatest narrative that moves our culture is the idea of freedom. World War II is now cast as a movement of freedom. The United Nations that was started out of World War II, we say, is about freedom. Uh, The Civil Rights Movement was about freedom. Women's rights. Every single movement of rights is located in this idea of freedom. And so today, we want liberation. We want self-actualization. We want autonomy. We want self-determination. Those are all different ways to say freedom. Ever since the Enlightenment, the West has been hell-bent on the idea that the highest good, the best thing for each individual is the ability to pursue their desires to live their life in the way that they see fit. And therefore, since your birth, everything around us is telling us the same thing. It's in our ads, it's in our stories, it's in our slogans, in our phrases, in our relationships. It's, it's the, the air that we breathe. And so, that's the cultural narrative of freedom around us. And what we've been doing this fall is we've been looking at different narratives that are in and around us, but maybe we haven't really paid attention to them. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at and map out our culture's belief system. A belief system is something that's not necessarily always cognizant. It's not always something that you can prove. It's just believed. We just know it's true. And we're trying to compare and contrast these narratives with the biblical narrative, and we want to see which one explains reality better, which one actually takes into consideration our real experience and actually works. And today, we are looking at the narrative of freedom. I would tell you, you should not believe 
in Christianity blindly, but I'd also say you should not believe in your culture's assumptions blindly either. We need to take a look at them. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, as we have been looking at, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians to do this, to examine this narrative. We're going to do it in three what questions. What are we freed from? What are we freed to? And what are we freed to be? Freedom from, freedom to, and then freedom to be. So first, freedom from. And I think we love this idea of freedom. Our culture definitely does. But maybe you need to know this. Surprisingly, so did the Corinthians. In fact, if you look at the second paragraph here, this is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul even quotes their catchphrase. He says, I have the right, notice the quotations, I have the right to do anything you say. Does that sound familiar at all? Because I think it is. It's very similar to our phrase that I have the right to live my life any way I see fit. That nobody has the right to tell you how to live your life, what is right and wrong for you. Right? Those phrases are similar because they are. They're very similar. And therefore, what I see in this text is I see a group of people that have a very similar idea about freedom. Then go to our first verse here, verse 19. And what you might not know from the English translation is, in Greek, the first word in this, this string is actually the word free. That Paul is putting that word free almost as a demarker to say, hey, I we guess we've been talking in and around this concept of freedom, but now here in chapter 9 and 10, this is the topic. We're gonna, you, you brought it up. You actually gave me this quote, so let's talk about it. It's literally the phrase would be, should be read, free that I am. Free that I am. And so here we are to look at this topic. And Paul is saying, all right, let's talk about it. And what does he say? He says, I am free to believe in freedom, right? He actually uses their definition. That I am free and belong to no one. It's very, very similar to us. That the, this definition of, of freedom is the absence of restraints and restrictions on what we want. That I belong to no one. I think the best example of this that the Keller family knows is Elsa from Frozen. She sings this. She says, it's time to see what I can do, right? That she says, it's time, to, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's what she says. And of course, ironically, that immediately plunges her kingdom into a deep freeze, Why is that? Well, I'll give you two reasons why. Two problems with this narrative that leads to a deep freeze. Number one, the first problem is that freedom, if freedom is just the absence of all restrictions, if it's the absence of all things that could be beholden to you, then then you will have the inability to love or be loved. Why? Because, Because... The fundamental tenet of love is making a commitment. It's making a movement of restriction towards someone or something else. That to love is to serve somebody else. What you're essentially saying to them is this. I'm going to stay in relationship. I'm committing to be with you through thick or thin. That's why I'm going to change your diaper. That's why I'm going to actually stay in relationship with you till death do us part. And all love is this way. Paternal love, romantic love personal love, mutual love, at some level, it's saying, I'm going to stay. That it's not always beneficial to me, right? I'll tell you what, I've changed diapers. It was not always beneficial to change diapers for me, but it was an act of love. Therefore, 
in a world that says, as Elsa says, there's no right, no wrong, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And at the same time, real love means giving up your independence to stay in relationship. If you hold those things together, then that means if you're going to be really free, you can't really have love. Maybe the reason why you're so lonely, maybe the reason why our friendship and and relationships are thinning out. Maybe the reason why you have less ties to the space that you live in, to the city and communities and relationships around you, maybe it's because we've been pursuing this concept of freedom that's hurting us. Have we thought about that? That somehow this view of, of freedom as, the, as being away from all restrictions, it's tearing at the fabric of all love and all commitments and all relationships and all communities around us. To which then we must have, we have to ask this question then. If that's true, then how is this then, how does following this view of freedom, how is that actually really free? Have you considered that maybe the way you're living your life right now, the way you're acting is killing love in your life? Have you considered that maybe our desire to get in and out of relationships easy? I love phones. Phones are great. But we use technology as a way to be able to get in and out of relationships. Maybe that way of living is hurting us and it's hurting you. And have you, have you really thought through the, your actions, your thoughts, your way of thinking about this, how you've absorbed this narrative, how it's actually maybe hurting you? All right, that's the first problem here. Now, the second problem, not only does modern love prevent love, the second problem is modern Freedom defies common sense. Modern freedom prevents real love, and modern freedom defies common sense. What do I mean by that? I think we all know at some level, in some places in our lives, we know that the absence of all restrictions is probably not a good idea. Have the absence of, no, of all restrictions when it comes to ice cream. You know what will happen? Probably not good. I haven't tried it, but you shouldn't try it either. The absence of all restrictions on brownies in your life, is probably not a good idea. I, a doc tells you this. says, take, take two pills every six hours. If you say, you know what? No restrictions for me. I'm going to take as many pills as I want. That's probably not a good idea for most pills in your life. If you say, hey, you know what? I want real freedom. I'm not going to be bound by the forces of nature. You get in your car. Don't use a, a, a seatbelt. See how that works out for you over your life. Because it doesn't work. There was a study done years ago by the American Society of Landscape Architects. I bet you didn't know that, that there was an American Society of Landscape Architects. But there was a study done by them. Now you know. And they were looking at the effects of fences on playgrounds with preschoolers. And what they found was playgrounds that had no fences, the preschoolers were restricted to be in the space in a closer proximity to the teacher. They didn't feel comfortable to actually explore and move out. And yet, when there was a restriction of a fence, they played and moved to all corners of the playground. And their conclusion was that the restriction of the fence actually created the freedom to really be and explore in it. And I think there's so many different examples of this. We see this in so many different places. You should, at some point, you should try to Google the name Rafael Menendez Flight of the Bumblebee. It's a great little YouTube uh, clip. I think it's in black and white. My, my father loved to 
play that clip for his grandkids. They would wander back into his office, and he would stop whatever he was doing, and he would put on this Flight of the Bumblebee. And the things that he could do with the trumpet were amazing. And when, he's been, when he was asked, how did you get so good? His answer was very simple. He said, all you have to do is practice scales. Just scales up, scales down. Just practice, practice, practice. And he said, eventually, the synchronization between the lips and the fingers becomes second nature, and then you can play things like bumblebee. In other words, freedom comes from restrictions. You have to restrict yourself to practice. You will lose out on some freedoms, but you'll be able to gain other freedoms. Every expert in every area knows this, that I have to lose my freedoms in some areas so I can gain it in other areas. This is, this is true for the gym. This is true for learning any skill. This is true for learning any job. Because we know this, that real freedom is not no restrictions. As much as our culture might tell you that, real freedom is finding the right restrictions. And so the question you should be asking yourself, the real question is this, which restrictions that you're going to bind yourself to will bring the most amount of freedom in your life? In fact, let me ask you, do you ask that question regularly in your life? Right? If, that's, if that's the right question, are you actually asking that question? Do you think this way? Or are you stuck with a modern definition, whether you know it or not? This modern definition that's going to leave you loveless. It's going to leave you lonely. It's going to leave you uh, in, in a space where you define common sense. You know what that space is like? It's cold. It's, un, it's not warm. It's, it's this modern freedom is failing us in these spaces, and it's going to lead to a deep freeze in our life. And maybe it already has. All right, that's freedom from. Now, secondly, freedom to. Paul says, go back to our text. Paul says in the second paragraph, verse 23, he says, freedom is good, right? But not everything is beneficial. Freedom is good, but not everything is constructive, And what he's trying to say is this, hey, I'm all for freedom. Freedom from oppression, freedom from abuse, freedom from pain and disease, injury. Those are good things. But unrestricted freedom in all its spaces is neither constructive nor beneficial. So go back to verse 19 again. So what does he do? He says, therefore, though I'm free, I have made myself a slave to everyone. This, this word for slave is Greek. It's the Greek word doulos, which also can be translated servant. The ESV translation in English uses, says this is servant. And I think the reason why is because what, sometimes when you think of slave, you think unable to have any power. But look what he says. He says, I have made myself, right, a servant. To some degree, he had enough freedom and agency to bind himself as a servant. But why? Why does he? Because he knows That freedom, real freedom, is not the absence of all restrictions. It's putting yourself into the right ones. And for him, he's saying, I'm going to limit myself to serving others. And he gives a list. And the rest of this paragraph, this first paragraph, is a list of who he's going to serve. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it quickly. One, he's going to serve the Jews. This is verse 20. Then he's going to serve those who are under the law. Then he's going to serve those who are not under the law. Then he's going to serve those who are weak. And he summarizes and he says, I'm doing all of this because I'm I'm, going to become all things to all people. Why? Verse 19, go back to it again. It says, to win as many as possible. And then in verse 23, I do this for the sake of the gospel. The word win actually in Greek shows up five times in this short little paragraph. Five times. Win. 
Because why does he want to win? When you, when you and I think of winning, we think winning is being able to do whatever our heart's desire is. But he defines winning to do what their desire is. And this is, this is actually one of the places where Paul, I feel like, is actually laying out his heart. He's saying, this is how I'm going to live life. This is actually what life is really about. In his summary statements in verse 24 of, of the next chapter, he says, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Maybe you've heard that phrase, maybe, right? This is not, if you've been around Christian circles, you've heard of this. Maybe you've heard me say it. Maybe you've heard it said in just culture in general. You know, don't just serve yourself. Don't just, you know, it's not about the good of you. It's the good of others. But what you need to ask yourself is this. Maybe you've heard that before, but you've never felt like you had enough gratitude in your life to be able to go do it. Right? Christians say this. Hey, you should have you don't serve because you have to. You serve because you want to. You should have gratitude. You should have so much love and gratitude you should move out and serve. Now, have you ever asked yourself, do I have enough of that? And if you're not finding yourself do that, maybe it's possible the reason why you don't live that way is because you actually haven't considered and thought through what you've actually been freed from. What you've actually been saved from. That the natural disposition of the human heart, your heart, my heart, all of our hearts, is that we're actually enslaved. And we're so enslaved, we don't even know we're enslaved. We're so shackled and bound, we don't even know that we're shackled and bound. How? Becky Pippert, in one of my favorite books, she, she says this. She says, if life, she says this, if, if, you, if in life you seek acceptance from others, then you're going to be bound to, you're going to be enslaved to their approval. If in life, if you are seeking power, guess what happens? You're going to be controlled by power. If you're seeking self-worth, you're going to be controlled by success. You're going to be controlled by your job. You're going to be controlled by money. All the things you're going to look to for self-worth, you're actually enslaved. And so what I think is fascinating about our culture is we always talk about freedom, this and that, but a person who's, who's living freedom for themselves is deeply enslaved to the things that they have to earn and get and have to have that self-worth. And then what Christianity says is, you read over the arc of the whole Bible, the Bible's saying, history is God trying to pursue his people to bring him back to him. Because they're on this, they're waywardly lost and enslaved. And yet, the climax comes in John three sixteen, right? Where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we just said love is at least commitment. So you can actually substitute that word. God was so uh, committed to the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what we find. And that means, if that's true, and God actually does that, then the core of reality is one who gives up his freedoms to give you freedom. The core of reality... The core of the universe is one who seeks the good of others. And since we're made in his image, and that's the core of reality, 
then and only then, when we do the same thing, when we align ourselves with that reality, are we really free? That's what we find. So now because of Jesus and what he did on the cross and what the resurrection's pointing to, life renewed, and what belief in your life in him, through him, if you have that, what that does is it gives you real freedom. When you live loved lives, and you can live loved lives because you actually work through and meditate on and think through God's delight. Have you done that? Because if you still lack gratitude, if you still are like, ah, I'm not really that motivated right now. And I'm not saying this is all like straight arrow. I mean, there's ups and downs in your life, sure. But if you haven't, then maybe you haven't fully really considered this. Consider Jesus' love for you. Are you, maybe you are, are you spending every waking hour right now in the rat race for success and approval and comfort and control? If you're doing that, guess what? Of course you can't consider this. You're spending too much time on everything else. Trying to earn your freedom. So that, that, that rat race is probably not helping you to consider. Stop. Have a thought. Think out the ramifications of this on your life. I had a friend, professing Christian, uh, this is years ago, and this person, I got to know him pretty well, a very successful person, very respected, very competent. He had built this sort of empire, this image about who he was, and then something happened in his life that threatened it all, that he was going to lose everything, his economic security, his relational security, his, his um, uh, job security, all of it. And so we met up, and the, you know, when we met up, we cried a little bit together, we, we, we spent some time, but then he said something to me that has ever since then scared me. He said, Michael, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've believed in Jesus, but what this ordeal has shown me is where my heart really got its value. You see, I thought that I believed in Jesus' love as the, as the motivating factor in my life, but now that these things have been threatened, these things that look like they could be taken away, I realized actually it was those things that I was getting my value from. And it turns out that I cared more about those loves than, than his love. And only, weirdly, only when those things were finally even taken away, or at least the threat of them have, it's, that's when, until that happened, I didn't see really Jesus is all I had. That Jesus is all that I, all I need because Jesus is the all that I have. We say that around these parts. But it's different when it actually comes clear to you. He said, until I lost it all or was about to lose it all, could I actually see him for real? And that was scary to hear that. It's scary because I don't know about you. I don't want to have to have the threat or to lose everything to be able to find him. But that seems to be precisely how it always works. And for some of you, it's when the cancer comes, when the relationship is lost, when the job goes away, when the pain comes in, that is the space where we see that Jesus was there all along. Will you see him? Will you seek him? Will you see this? Because if you don't believe in Jesus right now, I'm glad that you're here but at least see that you believe in something right now for your freedom. And, it, and not only is it not working, it's actually enslaving you. And maybe you are a Christian and that's how you're living too. But at least this, if you're a Christian, please see that when you love him, yes, when you lose some of your freedoms. By the way, when you read your Bible, you're going to lose some freedom in your time. When you join a community group, you'll lose some freedom to commune with other Christians 
when you give your time and your talent and your treasures, right? Literally, you're losing those resources. You're giving up some freedoms, but to gain a deeper and better freedom. That's what we find. That is what you're freed to. And the question you need to ask yourself, is that how you live your life? And if you don't, how's that working out for you? What's actually happening there? Do you see that freedom is not just from all restrictions? Not just intellectually. I need you to start actually living your life that way or thinking, asking yourself the deeper questions of, do I live my life that way? Do I put myself, if freedom is not the restriction of being away from all restrictions, but finding the right ones, have I found those right ones? Am I placing myself in those? Have you placed him, I'll put it this way, have you placed yourself under his lordship? Have you made him the lord of your life? There's a lot of lords of life out there. But Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that's going to die for you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, he says, Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. I love that place because it, it's the only place in the entire Bible where Jesus talks about his own heart. And he says it's gentle and lowly or humble. And what that means is, is that he's saying, I'm the only power. I'm the only restriction. If you bring me in your life, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring peace. I'm going to bring rest. I'm going to bring gentleness into your life. And if you get me, I'll be enough. And if you fail me, I'll still be enough. Nothing else will. This is what it means to be freed to love. Now, last point. What are we freed to be? I know this has all been very heady, so I want to try to get as practical as possible. I'll give you two practical applications. Number one, fight fake freedom. I'm trying to make that memorable for you. Fight fake freedom. If fake freedom takes away your love, if fake freedom doesn't understand that there's no such thing as freedom from all restrictions, then you're going to need to fight. Because every day, what you've grown up in, every day is telling you something differently. You're going to have to fight against it every day. Don't give in. One of my favorite scenes in all the Harry Potter books is when Harry Potter gives Dobby a sock. Dobby is a house elf. He's, He's shackled. He's bound. But if you give them clothing, they're free. And so he gives them an item of clothing, and Dobby says this great phrase. He says, Dobby had heard of your greatness, because Harry Potter was famous in the wizarding world. Harry Potter, I've heard of your greatness, but but your goodness, Dobby never knew. I love that, because I think a lot of us know the greatness of God, but I don't know if we know his goodness. I think you've heard of God's greatness, but I don't think you've experienced his goodness in your heart and tasted it and seen it. That Jesus' garments weren't just torn for you, his life was torn up for you. That he took the spear aimed for your heart. That he was clothed in our sins so that we could be clothed in his love. Which then begged the question, why are you still relying on fake freedom? Why are you still so clingy to things that won't contribute to your survival. You've been clothed in Jesus, decked out in his splendor, decked out in his beauty. And when you see that you've already been dressed in his love, then, then you can move out in love and care for others. Lauren Gill is part of our church, and she put me on to um, Denae Pierre's uh, concept that Christians... Living Christianly, we, we go into places and we become a restorative presence. 
That's what it means to live this out. To, when we say you care for others, I bring that up here, but to get, make it more concrete, will we be a restorative presence for others? Where we care and comfort the afflicted and encourage the weak and help the neighbor and put up with everyday annoyances. You don't even think that that, how is that being a restorative presence? But it is. And what I love about all those examples I just gave you, the profoundness is nothing in and of themselves. They're kind of mundane things. The profoundness comes from your ability to do them despite them being mundane. Despite probably you'll never get fanfare for, for persevering and, and putting up with an annoyance. Nobody's going to sing your praise. You're not going to get a plaque. You're not going to get any recognition. And yet it'll actually be a way to be a faithful presence. To be a restorative presence. Let me give you a quick example of this. I've talked to some of you individually about this, but I don't think I've said it up here before. During COVID, when COVID happened, a lot of people moved out of the city. And when I asked them why, I found a theme. The theme was this, is that, you know what? I've been living in my small little apartment. I got, I'm really lonely. And I think that if I move out and to get some, a bigger house and some more space, at least then I'll be, I'll be free and happy. And then during COVID and actually after COVID, a lot of people moved back into the city different people, and I asked them, why did you come in? And there was another theme. The theme was this. I was in my big house somewhere out there, and I was lonely. And I thought, if I just moved into the city where there's arts and culture and energy and people, then I'll be happy. And notice, I'm not throwing any particular person. I'm actually throwing everybody under the bus because everybody thought if I just moved, then I wouldn't be lonely. They attributed, ironically, the problem was the space and not the problem with their own heart. But the problem was actually what they've done with this narrative. When you cling to his goodness and only his goodness, you're going to be able to stay in places and serve those places and be in those places, in the city, outside the city. You're going to be able to stay in the mundane as you're less focused on what you need because your needs have been taken care of because now you can focus on them and their needs. Last application. You might fight fake freedom and then find fitting freedom. Again, I'm trying to help you. Find fitting freedom. Paul finds freedom fittingly in the love of God. How? He says in verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. If we know anything on this earth, by the way, can be taken from you. People, places, and things, by the way. Concrete stuff can all be taken from you. If you know that, and nothing's secure, then real freedom is finding that Jesus has given himself to you, and now all we have to do is give ourselves to him. The one thing that can't be taken from you. You know what religion says? Try hard. Be good. By the way, that can be taken from you. All philosophies, all religions can be taken, but Jesus says, not me. Maybe the thing that's been taken from you in your life, maybe the thing that's being taken from you right now, maybe the thing that will be taken from you, these good things... Maybe those are the things that are actually holding you back from really seeking and needing and experiencing his goodness. We know this from John Newton, one of my favorite quotes. Newton says, Everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing is necessary that he withholds. I'll say it again. Everything is necessary that God takes, sends our way. Nothing is necessary that he withholds, which means if there's something right now that God right now is keeping from you, and by the way, there's probably a lot of things he is. Ease, Comfort, validation, acclaim, success. 
Whatever he's holding away from you, either, number one, he's either going to give it to you eventually, maybe, or two, he never will give it to you. And guess what? Turns out you never needed it in the first place. And you just didn't know it. Either way, it wasn't necessary. Does that realization happen to you overnight? No, it doesn't. We look in the Bible, and what we find, we find God's people, the Israelites, wandering for 40 years to understand this concept. How long is it going to take you? Think of the loves that you wish you had. Think of the loves that you did have but have been taken from you. Good things, people, places and things. And you miss them, and they left a terrible hole in your life. God is using the absence of those good things to tell you about the presence of something better in him. God is using the absence of those things to show you in a more powerful way the presence of the one ultimate thing that you really, ultimately, and truly need, and that's him. And what you'll find is the thing that you need is, maybe not the thing you want, but the thing that you need has always been there. His love and his care and his affection found on the cross and in the resurrection. And now in your life, if you let it be, when you're down, when you're lonely, when you're without hope, when you're without future, when you're licking your wounds, when you're having those holes in your heart that you don't feel can ever be filled, cling to, plunge yourself into his love for you. You will never know how satisfyingly rich and sustaining and filling his love really can be until all the other loves of your life stop working and you go to him. And guess what? He was always there. In that aching absence, I think we can sing, right? We can sing like the hymnist, Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Or you can go to William Kuyper, who says the same thing. She says, Now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his ways. You've been freely chosen in the Son. Freely choose his ways. Let's live out not fake freedom. Let's live out fitting freedom faithfully together as a community in love and hope in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for entering into freedom as Paul does. He says this stuff is good. We do want freedom. There's an aspect of, he's not saying this is, it's, it's, a, it's a black and white. He's saying, no, there's a lot of good in freedom, but Father, Help us to see unfeathered, no-restriction freedom is hurting us and killing us. That real freedom is being bound in the right restrictions, and the, and the best is to you. We've been made in your image. All, all of nature of reality is, is you who made all things, who gave himself to us now, when we do the same thing, we are most human, we're most in love, we're most who we're meant to be. I pray that we would find that, that we would not see these things as unnecessary restrictions and hurt, but bountiful ways to beautifully love and care and be filled with joy of others and of you. Pray all things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. 
We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.